0: Hello everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us all the way from the other side of the pond this week is Duena Blumstrom, co-founder CPO, CEO of Tech, And more importantly, welcome to the show Dwayne. Very good to finally have you on here. Thank you so much for having me guys. It's a pleasure speaking to you today. It's been a while. Um, you've had quite a journey too, from when you first met my partner in crime, that was a while ago, um, before Meninga, across companies, across industries, across countries, where should we start? Let's start with your background. Tell us a little bit more about what you're doing today at People Not Tech and why People Not Tech.
1: That's a much better question than let's do an intro. I'm really not very good with with the intro bits. As you said, I've done quite a bunch of things. I do remember the very first time I've had a conversation with Bradley, though I can tell you later. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so what I'm doing today is, and what we've been doing for the last couple of years, is we have... Um, started a company that makes software so that it fixes teams and it makes them high performing for our technology digital era. Um, and over there, I'm, I run product, I design product. It's my, it's the one job I will never give up. As I say to investors, like if they can find someone to make CEO instead of me, I'd be very pleased. Um, it's, it's a, it's a glorified PA's job. At the end of the day if they can find somebody to kind of write instead of me and do all the other bits and speak instead of me i'd even be happy with that as long as i can still run product because what we make um truly and honestly changes people's lives at work and it's an absolute pleasure to be close to both the consumers and the and the developers that are making it so yeah
2: She doesn't want to talk about her background, but come on, this is like the background that I know. Uh, You were one of the OG of fintech uh, folks that I met in the community, and I've, you know, I don't even know how many years, six or seven years at least, uh, that it's been since I first met you um, when you were at Maniga.
1: It feels like
2: that, but it's like, I looked at the years that you were at Maniga, and it's like 2014, something like that?
1: No, oh, I started with them um, 2011, 2010, 2011.
2: Okay, so that's when we I, I thought so because yep. I looked at those dates and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. You need to look at your LinkedIn <laughs> anyway. Um, well, okay, so so going back, and, and you probably remember that first conversation more than I do, but um, starting out, you know, the FinTech was so different in 2010, 2011 when, you know, a lot of us first met at places like, you know, early money 2020s or, you know, Finnovate, the Disneyland of FinTech that I like to say, uh, but you, you transitioned a little bit out of that, and I want to talk about that a little bit because uh, you've written a couple books now, and you've got something going on next. But in 2018, you wrote this book called Emotional Banking, Fixing Culture, Leveraging FinTech, and Transforming Retail Banks into Brands. I want to talk about that and the journey to get that first book published because we just finished this book during the pandemic, and I don't know. Uh, I know it's been a couple years, but go back a little bit on the banking and the fintech stuff.
1: Oh gosh, uh, where to start there? So yes, I do remember our first conversation. I remember I put the phone down and I said to our CEO at the time, oh my God, this guy is so on the ball and he really cares about this stuff. And I think um, his bank is gonna do great. <laughs> and <laughs> let's, not even, <laughs> let's not even revisit what that meant. But yes, it was it was a pleasure. I remember it vividly speaking to you then because there were only a handful of us truly invested in it and living and breathing uh, what's going to happen next we were convinced for changing people's lives with their money and so on so it was a lovely time i think um but yes then around 2018 2019 um i realized and I, I i went out of fintech and i quote unquote left fintech i don't know if fintech noticed i did uh but but when i did it was because Um, I had become uh, entranced with this idea that we came to, which is that banks don't spend enough time figuring out how people feel about their money. Um, which was kind of encapsulated in this concept of emotional banking and the reason that title is as long as you've quoted it is because I wanted to put everything I thought you know what bankers very rarely read books so let's just put everything I really wanted to say in the title at least I can be sure they remember that Um and also it essentially contained the, the things I was saying to a board for 20,000 for 20 quid in a book. So it it just went through, look, this is why agile, this is why human-centred design, and this is why none of these things matter, because you're not comprehending what your customer really wants, and you won't until you investigate their feelings. That's kind of the the wrap-up of it. But in the process of writing that and of understanding that, I arrived at this other concept, which stuck me as much bigger and needed fixing even more, um, which is this concept of human debt that I I, I came uh, up with, which is essentially... Um, it, it occurred to me that the reason that these bankers were not doing the things that they need to be doing is not because they didn't know what those things were, right? You wake up any senior banker at 2 a.m., then they'll tell you, this is what my digital should look like, this is what the experience should be like. I, I kind of get it, of course. They know why agile, they'll tell you why human-centered design, but that doesn't mean that they do it and they don't do it because of organizational issues. So it took me a long, long while to realize that the problem is not at all about technology and not at all about anything else other than the, the humans inside the organization and how toxic, how stale, how problematic and how... Um, kind of these organized of organizations were dealing with. And it also struck me that um, the problem wasn't in banking only, but it's a problem that is essentially at scale, uh, you'll see it everywhere. You'll see it even out of scale. You'll see it in startups sometimes. You can start accumulating human debt early on. If you don't, you're not careful. And human debt in itself, in short, is essentially the um, equivalent of technical debt, but for humans. So whenever we cut corners, when we write code, whenever we take wrong architectural decisions, we know that those will come to bite us at some point. Same thing with the human bits, where if we start to talk about diversity and inclusion, but we never really put that topic to rest. If we tell people that this is Brenna Brown and you should be vulnerable, but then we never really do anything to change the mindset, that all of that accumulates into human debt. And you can have it at organizational level, you can have it at team level, but unless you start cleaning it, it doesn't matter what technology you have and how genius you think you are at process realistically you'll never be competing with people that don't have this human debt so yes in short left fintech to fix that uh, quote unquote because midlife crisis and <laughs> and the answer to fixing that was essentially to my mind um, making a piece of software that is transformational enough to people's lives in teams that it can extend to minimizing some of this
0: human debt I like that, I don't even know where to start. Um, So first of all, for those of you listening in who have not signed up with Duena's LinkedIn uh, uh, newsletter, do do that because she does talk a fair bit about that. And speaking of which, what you just talked about, the human debt, um, reminds me of the recent one that you posted about paying tech and human debt off is adulting, I chuckled at that at the um, title. <laughs> originally, um, Can you talk about what you mean by adulting? Um, I-, I think after you read through the article, it makes sense. But first off, I'm like, wait, what? Um, and can you discuss the role of tech in our everyday work and what is good and what's bad about and sometimes overwhelming influence in our daily lives?
1: Right, that's a that's a really really big question in a way, or a very small question depending on how we want to look at it.
0: So let's, let's go for the in between
1: answer there. But uh, so um, paying any kind of debt off is no fun. Um, no, nobody likes that, right? When, when we, when we borrow either money or time or wrong decisions in terms of technology, we get instant gratification. You, you get right away what you are looking for. And then you kind of spend your amount of joy (laughs) and then you're left with this payment to, to do so it's never really fun to be paying off whether those debts again are monetary and we all can relate to that or they are the same exact principle applies for when you have tech debt as a team or as an organization and when you have human debt as a team or as an organization so um, it's incredibly hard to, to go back to a drawing board and admit that you don't you can't continuously go ahead and add more features and add more functionality and and talk about new shiny things when you actually have some of this that's slowing you down. But realistically, if you let it accumulate to a certain point, it will completely stop you. Um, enough technical debt just means you just can't go forward. Same thing with enough human debt. Now the the the, the problem is. Technical debt is slightly clearer um, in terms of you can you can you can see it. You can you can kind of interrogate the code, see the amount of defects you have, you can see the amount of time and money you're, you're spending on fixing various bugs, all of that is very clear. Human debt is a lot more insidious and you can't really see the effects, um, which means that it's really harder to make people take a serious look at it and start working on it. In particular, and, and it is realistically much bigger. The other um, obstacle, if you wish, is the fact that um, the people that would understand technical debt are the same people that think that they are the least qualified to do anything about human debt, because they're technical teams. And they've been told for 20, 30 years that, that what do they know about humans? What do they know about emotions? And it's not their business. And it's someone else's job to fix them magically or put them in a culturally fit team and then make their lives better, and they've almost given up on anyone coming to do that, but they're also given up on trying to fix anything themselves. So you have this situation now where you have incredibly intelligent people who can and should be able to fix themselves in terms of both these types of debts, but are realistically not motivated and engaged enough to be doing any of these things. Um, and and many of these people find themselves in a place where they just go through the motions Um, and the only thing keeping them going is this promise of innovation and shiny things so anytime you ask them to stop and do anything foundational and hard and adulting uh, you get even more resistance than you would otherwise.
2: Well, one of the things that I definitely uh, have seen over the last couple of years from you is that you are riding up a storm, uh, which is great. I mean, I think you've probably written you know five or six books just in the last you know couple of years, just because of your posts every week. Uh, so, a a rather prolific writer, and absolutely suggest to people, as Theo did, that you subscribe to her newsletter. You will see something a couple times a week. Um, one of your other recent posts about teamwork and culture and organizational development, future of work, is about reducing that human debt that you're talking about. And I love the fact that you trademark it. Uh, for those of you in the know of the OG from fintech, you will know that Duyne was always a supporter of little things that I sort of trademarked, uh, like Disneyland of fintech. But, of course, yeah. I think Disneyland and Disney might have a problem with that. Um, but always giving credit to those uh That originally came up with concepts. So love that. So let's talk about um, one of those recent articles about holding bitch fests and building a library of examples. Um, Tell our listeners about that a little bit and also talk about what you do with your clients. That's another thing that I want to get into beyond the writing.
1: Um thanks for that so a couple of a couple of things there one, yes, the Disneyland of, of of fintech is absolutely brandless. I've said this over and over again. The other one thing everyone should remember because it's part of, of fintech history is that the business prevention department is JP Nichols. and nobody else's um and so there are a couple of things that you need to know because they're a staple of the history of fintech um I think I've quoted both that, both of those things in my first book so if you if you flip through it, you should be able to see. Then um, back to what you said, yes, I write not once, not twice, but three times a week for my scenes. This is what you accomplish if you wake up at four forty every morning. Um, But uh, and two of those writings are on a, a newsletter called Chasing Psychological Safety, and the other a newsletter is called The Future is Agile, because the, unfortunately, those are two different communities that are speaking two different languages, and they need to find a way to come together, or else this human that is getting bigger and bigger. Um, which brings me to the question, which is, what do we do, and 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 what are the actual practical things that we can be doing? I'm I'm one of those people that just cannot stand the the rhetoric that's very sterile and doesn't get anywhere. I'm all about let's do something. Um, And when it comes to doing something, there there are very practical things that can and should be done. The the number one thing we have to let go of is this fantasy that someone's going to come upon us and fix our themes. That's never going to happen. We have to take enough responsibility for our team dynamic at the team level that we start becoming empowered enough and smart enough to do something about these things that we can do something about. Um, And obviously there are some things that are at the organization level, we can't really do those. And obviously you need some organizational permission to be doing some of these things. But beyond that, there's plenty that can and should be done at the team level. So what we need people to do is take enough responsibility to say, right, this is our bubble, this is our team. These are the behaviors we want in this team. And this is how we're going to get more of them because there are um, practical ways in which you can essentially get uh, the equivalent of CBT if you wish but for teams where you sit down and you say right what we want is to speak up more to be um, emotionally connected to each other to be courageous to be learning all of those good behaviors and you take those behaviors individually you measure for them because you have to measure it's a very important part of this entire thing you can't just dream up a thing and then talk about it and once you've measured for it then you can start thinking right so for this particular behavior where we seem to be fearful of some things, what do we do about that? and once you've isolated it there are exercises that are plays, that are examples of things that can be done so that that particular behavior is being affected and in our um software because we make i didn't actually answer this i realized in retrospect when when Porto asked me to make a piece of software that is a dashboard showing this measurement to people um split into these behaviors and then it's asking people right now that you know what the deal is what are you as a team going to be doing together and you don't need to call hr you don't need to wait for i don't know what coach or trainer you just need to do it yourself so they have a bunch of place in the in the software that we expose then we have crowdsourced from other teams that have Use them successfully, and then they can use those the same exact things to start them off. In time, teams come up with their own flavor of things, which is brilliant and the way you want teams to be um, continuing. But at first, to kickstart them, there are minute things you can do to start seeing effects in your teams that are changing lives. I'll give you a quick example for instance, so this bitch fest that you're talking about um is one of those plays, and it's incredibly transformational it's a very structured way in which people get to air their grievances and there is no team on earth that doesn't need that moment everyone has a baggage of that moment when no one heard me that moment when they changed leadership or we changed the project or all of those things that we have in the back of our head that um, render us unusable to that team eventually if we had a moment to get them out that would make a, a humongous difference to the team. And the, the drama of it is if you don't have a very structured moment to get them out and a very clear structure and, and frame in which you get them out, it just becomes, it seeps into every conversation and every team interaction. It just ends up poisoning that in that dynamic. So if you do it in a, in a, in a kind of concentrated fashion, it has amazing effects. So there are multiple things like that that you can do and it, they will be transformational to the team dynamic and they need doing when you see that data telling yourself.
0: furiously, although our listeners will not be able to see that. Um, going back to your writing, um, and we talked about this in the, in the beginning before we started recording, you have a new book coming out. Actually, for anyone who's visiting your LinkedIn, you would have seen it smack in the middle. Um, and we are super excited. July 13th, the book, People Not Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teamwork in the Digital Age. Tell us, do we know what is this new book about? What can we expect, and how would we be able to get a copy? That's the most important thing. Right, thirteenth um, of July. It's been out
1: in um, in Europe and the UK for a month and a bit now. Thirteenth uh, of July. It's for America and the rest of the world. And uh, yeah, Bloomsbury um, signed me for this book precisely as the pandemic hit before we knew we were going to be locked and in my naivety when i started writing it i thought this is perfect for all all i need to do is write um and it was uh, the opposite of perfect in retrospect like, because i ended up having to run a company that was more needed than ever write a book and homeschool at the same time one of the worst 5 months of my life if you wish um so yes but it was it was wrapped up quite quickly so the the book is um, attempting something which I hadn't seen been done before, and I'm hoping it's going to be done a lot more from then on, which is essentially make that same bridge that I was talking about with the newsletters, which is there are two that distinct communities. One is the HR slash business com- community, if you wish, and the other one is the DevOps slash Agile slash technology community. And that same distinction exists in enterprise today. And until we go away with that distinction, with that um, disparity and that um, uh, hole in between going to keep dropping topics that are um, just not being picked up by either party and right now you have the devops community and and at the risk of upsetting anyone in hr i'm I'm already not anyone's favorite um the devops community are the holders of of the knowledge of what it takes to keep technology people engaged and and able to do their job in an agile fashion they know a lot more than they are willing to know because it's not their job they don't necessarily want to be acting on that but they need to either pass that uh, knowledge over the over the fence and and find a way to come together with the people that were put there to be doing this or we don't need both of these functions we need to do something because it is absolutely, um, damaging to our workforce to not find a way to come together. So the book is trying to essentially explain agile. So it's not great to anyone that's especially in either topics, right? Um, for anyone who's in agile, the way that it, it's being dumbed down so that we explain it, um, for dummies for the HR community is not a pleasant read. And for anyone who's in HR explaining kind of how people work and why uh, why team dynamics are as they are and why psych- psychological safety is super important is also probably not explained to the level they'd like to because it is kind of attempting to re-explain it to the to the agile community so putting those two together i think to me is incredibly important until the time that we do we won't be able to sustainably fix um the, the, the topics with the problems we see with the human debt and it's going to continuously fall in the middle
2: I think your background in product and in tech and, you know, just the places you've worked over the years is perfect for that, because I think, you know, just like being Sherpas between startups and, you know, large corporates, I think being the Sherpa around psychological safety and agile is sort of a perfect middle spot for you. So I love that this book is coming out. And I think to your point, we've learned so much about teamwork. We've learned so much about how companies work. We've learned so much about business models this past 15, 16 months that, you know, there's a different future coming into work and it's been here for a long time. I think we just haven't acknowledged it. And so I think your title is incredibly apropos about the times. So we wish you an exceptional amount of success with this book and the timing is so good. And um, your voice has always been one of those that I've always listened to and so many others have. Let's let's then kind of switch and talk about that a little bit as we kind of close up this Conversation. This pandemic, uh, I, I have said this long pause without solace has, has meant so many different things for people. And, you know, we've written a book, you've written a book, and writing has been therapeutic. Um, talk about that experience just a little bit more and talk about what you've learned personally about yourself and teens and society during this pandemic that is really going to stick with you.
1: Good, I can't pick a lesson. There there has been obviously so much and I don't feel like any of us has had the chance to yet really let it settle and see what's going to surface for all of us. My perspective is a bit uh, even weird, I believe, because one of the things we've done really early in the pandemic was open access to any team that wanted to use our, our our dashboard, which meant that we had hundreds of teams come towards us from all walks of lives and all geographies. Um, at one point, I remember maybe July, August last year, looking at our, our reports and going, is that a teacher's team? Is that some firefighters? Are those guys in a pharma in, in Nepal? It, it was just ridiculous in terms of the breadth of human experience we were we were exposed to. So we, we had a lot of lessons from the point of view of product, for instance. What we make today with what we were making at the beginning of the pandemic are unrecognizably different. Um, so if anything, we're really grateful to, this experience has has. Uh, sped us up 10-15 years, we're in no no competition anymore um, in, in some ways, but also it, it, I think the biggest lesson for me is that I, I was um, vindicated in a presumption I had all along, which is that um, geography and, and culture do not matter. In the sense that we have a lot more in common than we have to separate us in terms of how we react to work as teams. And so the reality um, of it has been very much shared between these teams. They were seeing the same things. They were almost doing the same things. It was, it was spectacular to see how they were reacting the same ways. So that was one of the assumptions that I, I has been, if you wish, I had had it all along, but it was difficult to prove without the data. The other assumption has been. We have a lot of this human that weighs very heavily and it's really difficult for people to um, get in a new habit where it's healthy and they, they are working on it constantly. Um, So that's probably something we're going to be grappling with for the next five, 10 years. And that's even if things hold um, and continue being digital and continue being hybrid and continue being like they should. Um, And then another thing that we've learned was that there's a lot of appetite for people to do better by themselves and others. Um, And I think that's not just our lesson, but in a work environment, um, if you give people the tools and the ability to do so, they're a lot more open to doing great things for each other from a sense of of goodness, like like you guys are talking about often as well. Um, then we expect them to be. So I think those are really important lessons. My lessons have been: I just am not as superhuman as I thought I were. <laughs> the amount of things I had to be doing uh, have have yeah left me slightly uh, tired, if I'm honest. And um, and also the other big lesson I think is the self routine we have to have in place to keep ourselves functionally, the more superhuman we are, the more of that self-care we have to be religious about. Um, and in in my case, if I drop a couple of days of, of meditation or breathing or any of the other bits, I'll feel it and I'll stop being able to be productive. So a, a lesson has been, personal responsibility-wise, there's a lot of work we have to individually do so that we keep ourselves productive, um, needs doing, and we just can't forget about it.
2: That's, that's so many lessons there to talk about. Um, the one thing, you know, that that I think needs to come after this as as the world sort of slowly gets out of this crazy time is that we all need that time to breathe and we all need this time to reflect. And wouldn't it be amazing if like the world just said, hey, you know what? Everybody's going to go on vacation for two months and we're going to rotate how we take care of, of another group. And so uh, I just, we need that time to breathe. And I don't think we're there yet. We're not even close to there yet. Every single culture has that need. And so coming out of this, there's just, it's it's more lessons about humanity than anything else. And just, it's, again, just so good to talk about that.
1: Very, very true. There's there's a lot there. I, I think we're far from understanding how much there is. Uh, the by side effects are gonna be both amazing and horrible for a long while. But all we can do is just kind of take
0: the, the good lessons and hold on tight to them and baby step at a time. Um, I think that's the one thing I've learned is you only have so many hours a day, you want to do a lot. But at the end of the day, there's only so much time is constant. Um, so what's next for you and your work Duena? What does next year look like? It sounds a little odd to be thinking about next year. But we are past a half year mark already 2021. Um, what are you looking most forward to? time is constant is something you just said and I don't know if it is like it's the one
1: thing that's become really bizarre to me is the notion of time I'm sure everyone has a little bit of that experience where it's both moving too fast and too slow at the same time but um What's next for us is we are um, in, in, in more POCs than, than I can count these days. It's never happened. Typically, a startup, as you guys know, would have like one or two big POCs. We we are now juggling many. I don't even want to say how many at the same time, which is great. It means that there's loads of um, and big enterprises that are getting where, where they should be. Um, there's still a lot to be done. We anticipate that we're going to be... Saying the exact same things about what psychological safety is, why it's important, why human debt needs to be um, kind of reduced for the next 30 years, I would presume. Um, but equally, we're really hammering it now because we, we feel collectively like there's a window and we see this every day in conversations with execs, there's a window where this human talk um, resides now. I feel like if we if we if we let it close the wrong way then some of these lessons would have been completely burnt and lost so it's I I might be just panicky for no reason I hope I am but um I just feel like it's it's a moment in time where humanity can and should embrace human work can and should embrace um you know a, a better work life where where we can incorporate joy and be alive um and if we lose that window I,
0: it's anybody's game, how long it's going to take us to to return to it. Incorporate joy and be alive. I think I remember that one. It's a good way to close it. Thank you so much, Wayno, for joining us today. And uh, there is a lot of life lessons, um, bits and pieces. Can't wait to check out your book. And uh, for the rest of you, thank you so much for tuning in. For another episode of One Vision, do make sure that you go and sign up for Duena's um, LinkedIn newsletter and pick up a copy of her book, which is called. Thank you
1: so very much for (laughs) having me today, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure, and some really good stuff coming out of this. I'm I'm going to be asking people to please listen to it. Um, Yes, thanks again. Thank you so so much.
2: I'm going to just wrap and say again, the book coming out for the rest of the world is People, Not Tech, The Importance of Psychological Safety and Teamwork in the Digital Age. Duyne, so good to see you.
0: Thanks a lot. Good to have you all. And we'll talk to you all next week in another episode of One Vision.